You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. another special Woodland Heritage Festival edition of the Archaeology and Ale podcast. The Woodland Heritage Festival was a two-day free public event at the J.G. Graves Woodland Discovery Centre in Sheffield, with talks and hands-on activities for the whole family on all kinds of archaeological topics. We tried to use these presentations to explain the archaeological research being done at Sheffield in a family-friendly and accessible way, so people of all ages who came to the Heritage Festival could come away with something new about the past and how we study it. So if you have any children or young archaeologists in your family who are interested, this talk might be useful for them as well. Last week the talk was about zoo archaeology. This week it's all about white coal, cupids and experimental archaeology. These terms may sound unfamiliar because cupids are a type of archaeological feature very specific to Sheffield and its immediate surroundings. But keep listening to find out more about this fascinating type of industrial technology. Apologies again for the background noise. We were recording in the function room next to the cafeteria at the J.G. Graves Woodland Discovery Centre and it was a very busy day. Well hello everyone, hello, uh, I'm Toby Pellet um, and these are, this is a cupid and cupids have kind of been my hobby for about the last year, year and a half, two years, two years, two years, really been that long, crikey. Um, there are over a hundred of these pits in Exor Woods, um, and as we'll find out, there's some lots of mystery. Um, I should have said, I, I, I have an ongoing battle with uh, Microsoft over PowerPoint, so I don't use PowerPoint, um, I use something else, so, so I apologise if my trans slide transitions are a little bit shaky. But just don't worry about that, don't worry about that. So, over 100 cupids in the woods. Um, this is just wooden three where we are now. Um, I think we're up here somewhere. Oh, we up there somewhere. Um, lots of them about, they tend to be located uh, near watercourses, you can see. Um, but more important than that, they tend to be located on the lips of slopes. They come in a variety of different forms. Um, this is the sort of typical one, the, the picture I showed you at the beginning of a single pit um, with a flue leading to it. You look at it above, it kind of looks like a Q, um, hence Q pit. Um, but you get these different forms, so you sometimes get a channel leading into two, you get them side by side or one in front of the other. So what were they for? We think that they were used for producing white coal. White coal being formed super dry wood that burns hotter than normal wood but cooler than charcoal. Um, and we have some documentary evidence for, to sort of support this. So in, on 4th of December 1649, there was a lease between the only vessel woods back then, uh, John Wright of Carborough, and Nicholas Stones, a lead merchant um, from Norton. Um, and he was given rights to fell and cut down uh, all in the said woods and underwoods and there to make the same woods into charcoal or white coal or to any other use and to make 
and cast pits and kilns for coaling of the same. Now we do get charcoal burning plants as well in Ephesus Woods, over 200 of them, um, but the pits, the Q pits, you think for this, is for producing this white coal. White coal was used extensively um, in the lead smelting process prior to about 1780, um, lead having lots of uses in the post medieval period, um, from plumbing, um, for making metals, for dyes, paints, and glass. Um, and it required a lot of resources. These are just some sort of really loose indicative figures, there might be problems with them, but, but, I, but I'll, I'll run through them. So, one area of coppice. Now, Exor Woods was coppice um, back in the post-medieval period, so we're talking 1600 to 1800 for these few bits. Um, coppice being a method of woodland monk. Not, not convinced by that? Sorry? Not convinced by 1600 to 1800? Uh, yes, I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just look sceptical then, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Linda knows quite a lot about this a bit, that's why I'm An area of coppice. Uh, I'm sorry, Exor Woods was coppice uh, during this period, so it's a method of wooden management. So you um, over-cycle, um, you chop down the wood, down to, uh, down to the stump, um, use that wood, then let it grow back over a period of time. For producing white coal, we're thinking um, around a 15 to 20 year coppice cycle. Um, so one area of coppice produced 16 cords, uh, approximately 40 tonnes of wood. And in 1791, there was a smelt mill at Brassington, um, that's in North Yorkshire, so loose analogy, but we're, we're working with some tentative figures here. Uh, and they paid £28 for 80 tonnes of chopped wood. So they, they needed two acres of woodland that year to service, to service their needs. Um, so over the whole cycle, they needed a total coppice area of around 30 to 40 acres. Exor Woods is 350 acres, so you would think it would be able to service one, one, one of these smelt mills, um, and we know they were smelting lead um, at Rykoff Mill, which is just over there, it's over there, over there. yeah, over there. Um, probably also in Abbeydale, along, along, the, along the valley. Um, but remember, they're not, they're not just making white coal, they're making charcoal, they're growing um, standards, that's tall trees for producing timber as well. Um, so Exor Woods had a, a range, wooding Exor Woods had a range of this, different uses beyond white coal production. Go on. Um, so how were they used? Now this is, this, is a, this is where the mystery is really. We don't really understand how, how the process worked. How did they make this wood super dry and how does the morphology of the pits allow this? Um, and there are two main hypotheses. Uh, the first one is described by Raystrick. Uh, large branches were laid as a floor over the hole, the edge often being raised in a low bank. On top of this floor, the smaller stuff was piled, brushwood and loppings burned in a fire underneath the bowl, uh, sorry, underneath in a bowl, um, and then the heat and the smoke from the fire drove out all the sap and left a, um, a fuel almost ideal for ore half smelting. So that's one hypothesis, so that's with the, the fire within the pit and the wood over it. Um, uh, about 10, 12, 13 years ago, Downs and Pounsett, um, two archaeologists, um, suggested two, uh, two hypotheses. One was like race tricks, 
The other was that the wood was placed within the pit and covered over, and a fire was built just outside, and then the, a flue was to, to direct smoke into the pit to dry the wood that way. Um, then, a few years later, they undertook some excavations uh, with friends of Exor Woods, and they found no evidence of fire within the pits. They, they claimed, although this is, this is, this is uh, debated, <laughs> uh, that despite the different forms of pits that we, we see now, that actually when you excavate them, they tend to be sort of rectangular in shape and possibly stone-lined. Uh, they didn't find any evidence of sockets that might have housed cross timbers for placing the wood over the pits. Um, and they also found this really striking analogy um, between the, the, the supposed pupit process, white coal production pro process, and corn drying kilns in the Faroes as described by Sir Lindsay Scott. The fire was made at the lower end of the, of the pit, or apparently, more usually, at the mouth of a stone-built flue leading into the pit. The flue might be as much as 10 yards long, causing a great loss of heat. The apparent reason being the use of fuel, straw, furs or brushwood, which would shower sparks, um, and then where the, fit was pit, where the fire was made in the pit itself, it is significant that the stoker kept a tub of water by him. Remember how I said that the pits tended to be sighted near watercourses? Is this one of the reasons for that? Um, you don't know, he also talks about the good weather, good weather required for getting a nice draw into the pit using, uh, in a flume, in, sorry, into these corn drying kilns um, using a flume. So there are a number of questions about pupits. What were the types of wood used? How was it prepared? Where was it placed? And how long did the process take? Um, what is the purpose of the flue, the, 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 the tail leading off the cube? Um, how efficient were they? How was hot air directed into the pit? And what was the size of fire required? Was the pit covered? Was there a chimney? How great was the risk of fire? And why might they have been constructed near watercourses? I think we can have even more questions, you know, loads of questions like, why are there so many of them? How, what was their period of use? Were they all used at once? Or they were, all, were they all used over a long period of time? Last year, I was fortunate to work with a group of students from the university, um, and, they, and they undertook a, a, a small cupid experiment for reconstruction. So here they are digging out the pit. Um, I'm sure some of you have seen the, the demonstration that we've got on the hill at the moment, uh, very similar. Um, so here's, the, here's the, the pit itself where, where the wood is going to be placed and then at the other end, the fire pit. And here's the, the other, here's the other direction. So the fire built in this bowl here, um, hopefully the smoke would be drawn up into the flue. Um, to, to the other end where the wood would be placed. Here it is in action. Uh, and remember what I said about the two different hypotheses, where well, we sort of went for a mixture of the two. So we had the flume and the fire outside the pit, but we also had um, wood on the cross timber, uh, uh, actually placed over the pit itself. Um, and actually, we, 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 and we, tried to, we tried to cover it over with some, some old Christmas tree loppings that we found lying around. Um, but it wasn't very successful. The smoke immediately, as soon as the smoke went up, the fluid just came straight, straight out. 
Um, and this is actually quite interesting. It's, it's an obvious point, but before we did it, we just didn't we just didn't think about it. So 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 we we're now trying to think of a way. Well, how the smoke kept in the pit? How was the temperature raised within the pit to drive off the sap? Um, and we're still not sure. There's still a range of questions. Sorry, here's a, here's another picture of that. The smoke is coming straight out. Um, so, so still got loads of questions about, you know, the woods. Um, but we do. The, the flu seemed to work pretty well. We're quite reasonably confident with the flu. Uh, what we're not so sure about was is how it was covered. Um, whether the wood was within the pit or whether it was over the pit and the smoke went up into a, a, some sort of structure above the pit, we just don't know. Um, and yeah, yeah, basically there's a lot of mystery and, 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 and that's continuing today. If you, you've seen up, 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 up there, we've tried to cover it over even more. We're working on covering it with a, with a clay and mud covering now um, to see if that's going to keep smoking in the pit and whether that will raise the temperature. We just don't, we just don't know yet. So this was, a, this was a reconstruction drawing for Friends of Epsilon Woods. Thank you, Linda, for allowing me to use it. Um, it, and it. And it kind of supports what we think we know about few pits at the moment. But there are still some questions. There are still those questions, and to throw in another question into the mix, something that I've been discussing with Roger Dunin at the university recently is when they did those excavations um, a decade or so ago, uh, they didn't find. They, yes, they didn't find any evidence of fire in, inside the pits, but the evidence of fire outside the pits along the flue was also pretty tenuous. And now, now we're beginning to think, well, maybe. Fire wasn't used all the time. Maybe it was just used at the end to uh, to drive off the last of the sap. Maybe this was a method for storing wood, and somehow the flue just created ventilation uh, to keep the air flowing and circulating to dry it dry it out over a longer period of time. We don't know, but we do have some ideas for for some longer term experiments um, that we're we're interested in conducting, and it's. It's just whether we can get students interested really to, to do them and, and whether they, um, the parts department here will, will allow us to do so. Um, so that's just about. Uh, my, I've lost the power of touch. Look at that. Look at that. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, especially thank you to students who did the Cupid experiment last year, um, Linda and friends of Exor Woods. Um, and, and this and this person here organised the, the whole festival. Um, did a really good job. So, so thank you very much. Oh, and a plug, a plug. Um, last year, I had the pleasure of working Grove Theatre with Grove Theatre um, on, so, on on some themes and drama activities around the history of the woods. It was really fun, and we've just finished producing a, a short audio tour for children um, that's going to be released. Uh, next month sometime you'll be able to um, uh, borrow audio players um, here, from here uh, from the Discovery Centre and go and walk on this little audio tour based around Cupid's and charcoal and white coal production so if you're interested in that do give it, give, keep an eye out for it in, a, in, a, in about a month's time thank you very much Tune next week for another special edition introducing some more activities at the Woodland Heritage Festival. 
Next time, we'll be presenting a talk on the history of the JG Graves Woodland Heritage Centre. One of the centre's volunteers kindly answered a few questions about the history of the centre and the life of its benefactor, JG Graves. After this, we'll be returning you to your regularly scheduled programming of the monthly Archaeology and Ale Talks, recorded live upstairs at the Red Deer Pub in Sheffield. If you'd like to know more about the Archaeology in the City program or the Archaeology and Ale Talks, visit our website. You can follow the link from the Archaeology Podcast Network page or come and find us on Facebook under Archaeology in the City. Thanks again to the Archaeology Podcast Network for having us. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Archaeology.